Welcome back to the Hybrid Canine Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Hubble, and today we are on Instagram Live answering your questions. But before we dive into any of the questions that may or may not pop up in the question box today, I wanted to talk about a topic that pertains to getting a new puppy. I have a friend named Patrick, rest his, uh, bless his soul, not rest his soul, bless his soul, um, one of the sweetest guys you'll ever meet. Um, he is someone that asks a lot of questions, and they're good questions, but um, I think it's funny because this is his first puppy that he got, and uh, he is, I would, I would say the word is overwhelmed, and Patrick, if you listen to this, uh, you know that I love you, but he's a little bit overwhelmed by uh, this new puppy, and he's not sh- quite sure how to handle all these different issues, right? And so uh, his puppy is a Samoyed. Uh, it's about eight weeks old, so it's a brand new puppy, and it's his first puppy ever. So he's trying to pay really good attention and do everything perfectly, right? You know, he's got this puppy. He's messaging me on Facebook, like, Matt, 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 what do I do, you know? And part of the answer to him, right, part of the answer I had to reinforce to him over and over again was that, hey, you know, you really have to manage your expectations. And I think that's one of the biggest things that uh, new puppy owners struggle with sometimes is that they are so nervous about doing something wrong or incorrect that they become a little bit um, apprehensive to do anything or they start overthinking things and they get in their own head and it becomes overwhelming. And that anxiety, right, that anxiety and that stress of, oh, my gosh, am I going to mess something up? That actually has a more negative effect on your puppy than if you were to just chill and do nothing at all. Um, so, you know, when it comes to getting a new puppy, here are some of the most important things that you can focus on as a new owner, especially if this is your first puppy. The first thing is, of course, you want to start crate training your dog right away. You know, you want to make the crate small enough to where the dog doesn't have a ton of room to move around and necessarily soil the crate. The second thing is that you're not going to leave food and water and toys inside of this crate. I think a lot of people think, uh, especially with puppies, we get all empathetic and we're like, man, my puppy's going to need toys. What if they get bored? What if they get thirsty? What if they get hungry? Look, your your puppy's going to be fine. You're probably taking your puppy out of the crate all the time anyway, and you don't need to leave them with food and water and toys in the crate. In fact, this just creates a bigger opportunity for a hazard. Um, But this also is devaluing those resources. It's from a young age teaching that these resources are openly available, and that's not what we want. We'll get back to that in a little bit here. So the first thing, of course, is crate training your dog. And then, of course, learning to potty train them as well. Now, you just need to face the music in the sense that your puppy is going to soil the crate. They're going to soil the crate. They're going to soil in your house. And the faster that you can build a routine and condition your puppy to expect a certain um, series of operations or flow to the day, the sooner that you can, um, you know, get rid of some of those issues, right, of the, of the potty training. So how do you do this? Well, when your dog comes out of the crate, you know, if you're living in a, in a house that has carpet or uh, you have to go down a flight of steps because you're in a, an apartment or something like that or a condo, you can even pick your puppy up. But, you know, the first thing you want to do is practice a little impulse control. So you're going to open the kennel door. If they try to walk out right away, you're just going to close it and wait for them to sit. Once they're sitting calmly, you're going to put the leash on them. You're going to either pick them up or lead them out. Now, sometimes what I will say with puppies, and the reason I would say pick them up, which is not something you'll do for a long time, but just right when you get them initially, is that your puppy might step out of that crate and that carpet might be immediately, they might soil in the carpet. <laughs> you know, I don't know if there's like a phenomenon behind this, but as soon as a puppy walks out of the crate, one of the first things they might try to do is go to the bathroom, right? So if you pick them up, they're less likely to do that. 
you can walk them right outside on the leash. You're going to take them on the leash to a specific spot that you want to condition them to, you know, uh, soil, you know, urinate, defecate at. And when they do so, you're going to have a little celebration. You're going to go on your walk. You're going to bring them inside and do a little bit of engagement with food or toy. Then you put them back in the crate. If they don't go when they go outside, right? You're going to give them a good ample amount of time to do this, maybe five to 10 minutes to sniff around, find a good area. And then you're going to bring them back inside if they don't go, put them back in the crate. And you're going to try again 10 minutes later. Now, this is going to be really tedious at first, you know, but the more diligent you are in conditioning this process where your puppy begins to think, okay, I go outside, I go to the bathroom, I have some fun, I go back in the crate. The faster you can get to your dog having that level of understanding and expectation, the faster they'll become potty trained and the better off you'll be in terms of setting your dog up for future success, right? Um, what you don't want to do is just let your puppy out, let them run free, let them out in the backyard and have all this freedom. Your puppy is in a state where you really need to start teaching them exactly what the expectations are, give them some routine and some structure in their day. And the faster that you do this, especially from a young age, the better off you and them are going to be, right? So that's the important thing to start with is, you know, crate training, potty training your puppy. The second thing is you want to build a ton of engagement with your dog, right? You want them to look at you as the most valuable thing because this is going to have a big downstream effect on the way that they live life with you moving forward. So this brings me back to why we don't leave food, toys, water openly available in the crate. Water, of course, because they'll drink the water and they're just going to be more likely to pee in the crate. They can have water when they come in from that walk or at other times of the day where they're out of the crate. With the food, you do the food, the toys, the affection. These are the, the three main motivators for dogs. And it's not just for puppies. As we talk about this quite often is that, you know, these three main motivators are the ways that we can really build value in ourselves. And we do that by being the vessel in which these resources become available. So for instance, you leave the food in the crate with your puppy all the time, they're going to expect that food's just openly available, right? Rather than what you should do, which is have that food and use it as a way to engage with your dog and your puppy from a young age, you know, giving them uh, different, you know, command, not necessarily verbal commands, but just, you know, learning how to food lure them with your hands with the food in it and feeding their meals that way bring that food out on walks and luring them and starting to shape, you know, these different positions such as the heel position, down, whatever it might be. Um, but that's the way that you want to provide the food for your dog. You don't just want to make it something that's openly available in the crate. It's not saying you have to hand feed every single piece of kibble, but give them a few commands or, you know, do some food luring and shaping for a little bit. And then, you know, boom, give them a jackpot and give them the rest of the food. But just don't leave it in the crate, right? As soon as your puppy is disengaged from the food, just take it up and save it for later. Same thing with toys. If you leave toys in the crate or you leave toys out all around the house, your dog's just going to expect that those things are there. They're not going to be as exciting as if you, every time you take out that toy, it becomes an active play session and something your dog looks forward to, right? Um, it's the difference between like, you know, think of a kid that just has toys all around, right? The kid toys are just always available all around the house. Like they have their own toy room maybe versus a parent that, you know, as soon as dad grabs the football, lights the kid lights up and just loves playing football because of not only the football itself, but the association of what's about to happen with their parent, right? Um, this is not so different than what we're talking about in regards to toys. The more that these toys can have additional value behind them because of the engagement that's about to happen, the better off your, do your dog is going to be and the more valuable those toys will be. So don't make these resources openly available. And this brings me to the third one, which is probably going to be the most challenging for new puppy owners, 
which is limiting that affection, right? Affection is one of the main resources that drive dogs, right? It's something that they yearn for is that whether it's praise through our voice or through a pet or whatever it might be, they crave this and they want this dearly. And so especially with a puppy, especially if a Samoyed like my friend Patrick has, super soft dog, it's super easy to just sit there and pet them all day to let other people pet the dog. But if your dog is always getting pet, right, especially from a young age, your dog doesn't know that it's being pet because it's cute and fluffy and soft. They just think that that's the natural state of things, right? This, they just come to expect that they're going to be pet all the time. And so that's how you can start to curate and develop a lot of these demanding behaviors from a very young age. And so really limit and be cognizant of how much affection you're providing to your dog. Give them praise and affection when they're doing something good, but don't just be incessant with it and constantly provide it to them, right? And don't allow other people to do that either because it's going to devalue affection altogether. And that's something you want to reserve for when your dog's actually doing something good. So that way they're more inclined to do those good behaviors more often, right? Um, so I hope that that makes sense in terms of, you know, what are the, some of the first things you want to do as a, a new puppy owner, right? And why are we doing those things? What we're trying to do from a young age is cultivate a sense of structure and routine for your dog and also a level of expectation around how to get the things that they want. When your dog understands from a young age how to get the things that they want in a positive way, this is going to really allow them to have a deeper understanding and better level of critical thinking from a younger age where they're going to be able to know how to communicate with you to get the things that they want. When dogs don't know how to communicate to get the things that they want, that's when we see a lot of these negative behaviors, the jumping, the demanding behavior, uh, running out of doors, the barking, the whining. Um, even my friend Patrick, right, he sent me a video where he, uh, you know, his puppy was kind of yapping at him from inside of the crate, and he said, stop. And the, the puppy stopped, right? The puppy stopped for a moment. But, what, but it's really important for us to understand what happened here. The puppy didn't stop barking in this situation because it understands what the word stop means. It absolutely doesn't. It's an eight-week-old puppy, right? What the dog understood is that, hey, I barked, and then he paid attention to me. So why did the dog actually stop barking? It wasn't because it understood the word. The dog stopped barking because through its barking, it got the attention that it wanted and it stopped momentarily because it got what it wanted. However, because of the way that this was earned by the dog, the dog just learned, hey, if I bark, I can get attention. So what is a dog more likely to do in the future? Continue barking, right? So this is what's really important when we are training our dogs is to be cognizant of the ways that we might be inadvertently reinforcing behaviors we don't want to see more of. And if, we, if you follow the approach that I'm laying out, you're going to have a better likelihood of creating clarity for your dog where you aren't inadvertently doing things thinking that they're learning something, something when really they're learning something negative, right? Um, and then you have to unwind these things later on in life. Um, so those are some really important things when it comes to, you know, what to do as a new puppy owner. The main thing, the bottom line here is don't allow your puppy's cuteness and, you know, innocence to you know, distract you from the work that needs to be done, right? And the work that needs to be done when you get a new puppy is to be diligent and steadfast in teaching them good habits from an early age. And although it won't be as fun and as cute and make for as many uh, viral TikTok videos, this will vastly benefit uh, your dog's overall behavior and, and life moving forward as well as your own, because not only will it be more peaceful for you, but your dog is going to have a way better sense of, of what is expected of it and how to coincide in your, in your human world um, than a dog that gets all these things at a young age and then 
has a disparity in your relationship and understanding because at some point when it's not so cute anymore, you totally switch up on them, right? Um, so that's my advice when it comes to puppy ownership and to also just not overthink it, right? At the end of the day, as a new puppy owner, as any dog owner, you just have to accept that failure is part of the process. Um, in those failures and by being willing to fail fast, that's, that is what creates our opportunity to learn at a faster, more expedited speed. But in order to learn fast, you have to be willing to fail fast. And so don't be afraid of failing and messing up with your dog. It's a living, breathing organism. And just like us, you know, nothing is, we're not permanently damaged, right? We can, we might do some things in a non-optimal way, but, you know, we can always come back from it and, and steer the ship right. Um, so don't be afraid to make mistakes with your dog. It's going to happen. That's part of building a relationship, right, is making mistakes, learning how to overcome them and learn how to, you know, maintain and enhance our relationship through communication. Um, so these are some of the things to focus on when it comes to bringing a new puppy home, especially if it's your first puppy. And um, yeah, I hope that it's helpful for anyone that's, that is uh, in that particular circumstance, which hats off to you because it's a very exciting lifelong journey. So let's go ahead at this point and jump into some different questions that we've got here in the chat. So from Texas KC Puppies, I've kennel trained 11 golden retriever puppies, 10 weeks old now. One is refusing inside of the crate on her own. If I throw, lost there. If I throw food, she will, but not if the kennel is empty. I've tried hot dogs. So let me read this one more time. I've kennel trained 11 golden retriever puppies, 10 weeks old now. One is refusing to go inside of the crate on her own. If I throw food in there, she will, but not if the kennel is empty. I've tried hot dogs. So um, in this situation, this is kind of a game of, um, this is kind of a game, literally just a game, right? And you have to learn how to troubleshoot the game in order to have success here, right? Um, so, you know, most of these dogs are doing a great job. One of them is, is a little more challenging, right? So you had the right idea, lure them in there with food, right? And so it's okay if you need to use food, right? Um, but just try to phase that out slowly, right? So that it doesn't become a constant expectation. So maybe sometimes it's th food, maybe sometimes it's a toy. Um, and then what you can do is maybe lead the puppy up with a, a lead into the crate and then remove the lead once they're inside of it and then give them a reward once they're inside of the crate. So maybe you'll go from tossing food in the crate and kind of bamboozling them in there, right? To having them go into the crate then providing a food reward, and then eventually phasing that food reward out from externally from the crate. So that, that might be some of the first, the next steps I would advise, right? Um, but once again, this is kind of a game of figuring that particular puppy out and being able to troubleshoot. And that's part of, the, that's part of um, being a trainer is being able to troubleshoot and use your um, overall knowledge to come up with a creative solution to the problem that you're facing, right? Um, so those are just some of the simple things, right? If they still refuse, maybe there's some other clever thing that you're going to have to figure out. But I think those are the, those are the first things you can start with. All right. Alley cat. What if my dog has never needed to be crate trained, but can go in them? Do you still recommend withholding reinforcers for us to, uh, the deliverer? What if my dog has never needed to be crate trained but can go in them? Do you still recommend withholding reinforcers for us to the deliverer? Um, I'm not sure I completely understand this question, to be honest. Um, if your dog is able to go into a crate and is calm in the crate, um, then, you know, that's perfect. 
you, you know, I would not necessarily just leave valuable items in the crate for any dog, even a dog that is extremely well crate trained, um, because it's just not necessary, right? Um, you know, withholding those reinforcers and not making them openly available is something that no one should be doing. Um, or making them openly available is something that no one should be doing, right? We want to withhold these reinforcers and reserve them and let them flow through us as handlers uh, to bolster our value to the dog, right? Because if all these things are openly available and then suddenly they're not, the dog's you know mindset is that these things rose here. Why are they not here? And that's when you're going to see demanding behaviors versus the dog understanding that these really valuable things flow through you as the handler, leader, etc. Um, hopefully that, that addresses perhaps the question there. All right. Best way to teach a heel command to an old English bulldog that is a little more stubborn. Um, the best way is going to be the same way that you teach any other dog that's, uh, less stubborn. Right. And when we say dogs are stubborn, you know, really what we're saying is we haven't figured out what really motivates them. Right. So Maybe it's a good opportunity to look at some of the different things that are motivating your dog. Uh, maybe you're trying to use a lot of food when really your dog wants affection, right? Um, or vice versa, right? So those are, that's one of the things to look at. Um, another thing is practicing in a very low distraction environment. So we talked about this in various podcasts at this point of, you know, teaching these things inside. Um, you know, the heel command doesn't start as a command. It starts as a position that's shaped through food and leash pressure and practicing it in a low distraction environment, such as your house, your driveway, your garage, your backyard, and then slowly generalizing that same expectation to more and more progressively distracting areas. So that was, that's the way that I would go about it, um, is using food and leash pressure uh, inside of a low distraction environment to shape that position. And then once your dog is naturally going into that position over the course of several weeks, perhaps, you can start to layer a verbal command over on top of it. Here's an interesting question that I have a good answer to. Uh, Luna the Dow, how do you deal with a slip lead that doesn't stay in place? It constantly slides down. So one, you might want to look into getting a better slip lead, right? Really good slip leads usually have a nice rubber stopper or a stopper that is um, secure enough to where it doesn't constantly slip. Uh, if it's slipping down and you are using a really high quality slip lead that has a, a stopper that's not moving at all, uh, it probably is a sign that you need to have uh, the slip lead tighter. The slip lead should be up really high and tight behind the dog's ears, um, not low on their neck here, but actually up like right behind here, like almost underneath this kind of line, if it were me, like my jawline, right? And the reason for that is because we want to have really good communication over the head because where the eyes go, the body is going to follow. Um, and so having that slip lead up nice, high, and tight is going to make sure that one, it's it's in the you have more control, but it's also going to be less likely to slip from there. Now, what else can you do, right? Well, you can have a flat collar underneath it. That's what I tell my clients to do: is put the slip lead above any other collars that might already be on the dog's neck, because that's going to prevent it physically from sliding past that point. So, think of it: you're going to have a stopper on both the slip lead itself, but perhaps a stopper in the sense of another collar underneath where the slip lead lies. All right. And that might be all of our questions. Oh, we got one more. And I'm going to go. Good questions today, everyone. My dog is reactive to kids, like as if she is scared. How to help the dog understand kids are okay? So um, 
One, I'd always recommend when you're dealing with reactivity, depending on how severe it is, definitely, you know, reach out to someone and get really detailed support with this. You know, this is not enough context to really understand, you know, what perhaps is going on with your dog. Um, but, you know, if your dog is seemingly scared of kids or is nervous around kids and is having some reactive type of behavior, uh, you need to recondition your dog, right? You need to rebuild their association to what, you know, what kids mean or what they're going to do to them, perhaps. Um, and you can do this by utilizing a crate and obedience commands, right? So one on one end, you have to really work on your dog's obedience and engagement with you so that they'll, you know, be in a state of being willing to take direction from you. Um, and second, you know, using a crate is going to be a great way to safely um, desensitize your dog to kids, right? So say, for instance, you have kids that come to your house, you know, having your dog in a crate where they're included, but not able to directly participate or, you know, of course, gain any access or proximity to the kids um, is going to be a great way to get your dog to have some more neutrality around children. Um, you know, a lot of times dogs don't really like kids because kids have kind of this like, you know, chaotic energy. <laughs> um, and so it can throw dogs off, right? And they don't understand it. So, you know, what, essentially what you want your dog to do is have some confidence and neutrality around kids to where they realize that nothing bad's going to just inherently happen just because of the presence of this small human being, right? Um, and you can do that by using a crate, like I mentioned, and desensitizing them. You know, if you have kids in your house often, um, you know, that's one of the easiest ways that you can start to do that and re, re, just change their association. Um, but truthfully, it is something where you'd want probably a trainer present just because, um, you know, anytime there's kids involved, kids also don't know how to necessarily behave around dogs. They don't know boundaries as well as an adult human being. Um, and so there, there is a greater likelihood of something um, bad that could happen, right? And so it's just most important whenever you're trying to work on a reactive dog with kids is just to have probably a trainer present or to be using a crate or something very secure and not to push the boundaries or ever think like, oh, they're probably at a good point to be out together because um, it just creates a lot of opportunity for, uh, you know, someone to get hurt. So that not the best answer, but, you know, that's probably the most truthful answer is to work with a trainer in person. And then if you are, you know, not in a situation where you can really do that, you know, especially using a crate and using that to desensitize your dog's association to kids. Um, you know, giving them an obedience command to be held accountable to that they very clearly know and have demonstrated reliability in is another way that you can start to work on that. So if you're out in a walk, you know, really working on a downstay in other environments, not around kids. And then when there are kids outside, perhaps giving them that obedience command. So instead of them reacting, they have something that they're supposed to be doing that they know how to do and that they can be held accountable to maintaining. So that would be my advice there. Um, with that being said, I'm going to wrap it up here. Thank you everyone so much for tuning in uh, to the live stream or to the podcast if you're listening to this afterwards. If you didn't know, you can go and stream all of these previous Q&As and this one uh, by tuning into the Hybrid Canine Podcast, streaming on all podcast platforms and streaming platforms. Um, if you're listening to the podcast, you can participate in these live Q&As by following us on TikTok and Instagram at Hybrid Canine. And with that being said, Never forget that training is a journey, not a destination. And I'll see you guys next time. Peace.